Okay, we're on this journey, following the footsteps of Christ. I'm getting more excited about this, so you guys better fasten your seatbelts. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. If you're new to the Bible, um, it might be the first time you've actually actually picked up a Bible, read this, this story uh, to some of us, this is a familiar passage. In fact, there are passages in the Bible that I actually call my friend. I know them quite well, but every now and then I just like to take a walk with them. Does that make sense to you? And this is one of them. Last week we called it the Christmas story, you know. Um, but, but we were dealing with a total, a total uh, different subject there. Well, we, this is our third week into it, and when we started uh, following uh, the life of Christ, we had to answer the question, well, where did he come from? What is his origin? And I don't want to belabor our introduction too long, but John 1 is the passage I had you turn to. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the same uh, was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light unto men. That's where He came from. From the eternal, no beginning, no end. There's only one God, but He expresses Himself through three entities. Now, someone tried to explain it like a, an egg. If you, you have this shell, you have the white, and you have, that's pretty lame. You can't come close even trying to describe the deity and the Godhead, our creator. And then the following week, we answered the question, well, then how was it? And we turned to passages like Isaiah chapter 7, where he said, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. And we studied the life of Mary a little bit. And then we know that not only would he be birthed through this innocent young woman who was a virgin, but he would be specifically birthed in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, though you be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come one unto me that shall be the ruler of Israel. And so that kind of answered that question, how? How does eternity step down into our time, into our uh, lives. Well, he does it through a virgin. He does it through a small, insignificant town named Beth. And it would be like saying the, the Messiah will be born in National Park. What good thing could come out of National Park? Listen, I live here so I can kind of rail on it a little bit. Bethlehem. Nazareth. Anyway. Today, I kind of want to just deal with the question now, why? This why? Again, familiar story to all of us. And maybe if you've been walking with the Lord um, for some time, maybe this will just help you, help you to sharpen your sword, as it were. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Maybe it'll be something that just enlightens your heart, man, and you're just, you'll fall more and more in love with this Savior who stepped out of eternity, came into our time domain, and now we are saved. We're sealed. We're private property. We belong to another. You don't even belong to yourself. You know what? I always hear, well, my life consists of, it's not your life. You've relinquished that. 
But in Matthew, let's read. We'll dissect it. And then there's just a few questions. A few, if you can imagine me only having a few. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 18. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together. Well, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. While he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Jehoshua, for he will save his people from their sin. Now this, this all, uh, all this was done that it might be fulfilled that was spoken by the Lord by prophets saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. He took unto him his wife, knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he, Joseph, called his name Jesus. Let's just paraphrase just a little bit. Um, The birth of Christ mentioned in the Gospels, the synoptics as as well as John. Mentions this birth of the Savior. His, ma- ma- his mother named Mary. She was enga- engaged. Pardon me. There's three parts to this engagement. There is the whole pre-arrangements of marriage. And once dowry is set, that is legally binding. That's going to be a marriage that will take place. Not next week, next year. It could be a long period of time. But she is bound underneath that or under that covenant of marriage. Then the, be, the, the betrothalment, where we get closer to it, but it, we get, now, we're, now everyone knows that we're engaged and we're going we're gonna, to um, do this right. And, and that's the time period that the angel comes. Well, no, let me back up a little bit. That's the time period where Joseph finds out that his beloved, espoused fiancé is pregnant. I cannot for a moment even to consider what she was going through or what he was going through. What was the conversation like? Uh, Hey, Joe, I I have something I need to tell you. What's that, Mayor? Oh, I'm pregnant. But don't worry. God did it. You have to find humor in that. Come on, lighten up. I believe with all my heart he is just, he's troubled at this. He goes to bed troubled by it. Then the angel appears to him and enlightens his mind to the scriptures that something is going to take place with his beloved and that the very thing that's happening to her isn't of man, but it's of God. And she will be giving birth to Emmanuel. And Joe, I want you to name him. 
you name him Yeshua or Joshua or Jesus. They're all the same word, meaning Jehovah saves. That he's coming into the world to save his people from their sins. Question. Did they get it right away? No. No, I can't imagine the ridicule that Mary must have gone through. I can't imagine what the turmoil that Joseph is thinking at the at him. If it wasn't for the angel Gabriel, even though he was a just man, meaning that he was a moral man, he didn't want to put her away pro- uh, publicly, but he would do it privately because if he did it publicly, she would have to be stoned to death. He, he, never, he didn't get it until the angel revealed it to him. And I love verse 24, where it says, Joseph, rise from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. The translation renders it that he did exactly what the Lord had bidden him to do. Exactly, to the T. So, starting with that. What we're doing with these first three weeks is we're beginning to just, we're, we're building a foundation And I really need you to understand this, folks, because without these foundational truths, your walk with the Lord or your Christianity, I don't know how, is going to be so over the map. Without knowing where he came from, the very origin of Christ, or how he came into the world, or why he came into the world, Your Christianity will be threatened year after year with false theology. Without the foundational truths, you will, as a believer, begin to even doubt your salvation in the years to come. Usually what happens is you don't have any foundational truths. You're not basing it upon what God tells us, where he came from, how he came and why he came. So all of a sudden, the enemy puts a trip on you. and You can't really believe that you're just saved by faith. You've got to work this thing out, man. You've got to follow the do's and the don'ts and the regulations. And you've got to become more spiritual. You've got to look more spiritual. Where does that lie come from? Why would we even give ear to it? It's because we don't know the foundational truths about Christ. And it just seems to me the more familiar we, we get with them or we become with them, that familiarity does break in town. We get so familiar with it, we begin to dismiss it and set it aside. We can know all the Romans road to salvation and somehow we step off course and we begin to tell people, well, all you need to do is follow this and you'll be saved and look like this and you'll look like a Christian and you'll do this. And before you know it, you're wondering, how did, in the world, how did I get into this insane? Years and years ago, and I mean many years ago, I knew I was saved. You couldn't take that from me. Man, I went from just doom and gloom to a joy, unspeakable joy, full glory. My life turned on a dime. That's one lie the enemy could never get me with. I know I was taken out of the crud and the mire and brought into his heavenly light. Where I got deceived was some joker telling me I could lose it. I had to work for it, and I had to maintain it. And if you wanted to keep that seal upon your heart, well, brother, sister, you better fill in the blank. It's because when we, I first got saved, there was no one teaching me the Bible. 
No one. My brother was just as, and he was my spiritual hero. He was just as confused as I was. We were all confused during that time period. We, we didn't know an epistle from an apostle. We didn't know anything about the Bible. So someone stood up and said, you can lose your salvation and you might commit the unpardonable sin. Yet, you know how that throws a young believer off? I don't think we'll completely understand the totality of Christ without the foundations that we're establishing. So why did he come? Why? Well, verse 21 basically puts it in a nutshell, doesn't it? That he came to save sinners. Verse 21 reads, He shall bring forth a son. You're going to call his name Jesus, and he's going to save his people from their sin. You know, it's almost like a mission statement, isn't it? A lot of large corporations will have a a mission statement. I think Jerry basically gave you a mission statement for our missions department about going to the household of, of faith first. But usually a mission statement takes everything the company about, uh, is about and they boil it down to just one sentence. Some kind of catchy phrase. And then they pound it over, they pound it over until you finally get it in. And you know what the main thing about that company is all about. And you know the main reason why they're there. And you know how they're... And it's just one little statement, you know, a mission statement. Well... I think that's the mission statement right there, that he came to save sinners. You know, folks, I heard Chuck saying it over and over and over in my younger years as a pastor, but keep the main thing the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. Listen, this whole thing that Jesus came He didn't come to be an example of a miracle worker. He didn't come to be an example of a great moral man. He didn't come to be some type of theologian or a a Rabboni, a, a great teacher, though he was all that. But the main reason he came was to save you and I from sin. You know, just the other day, I almost threw something through my TV. I have an anger issue, yes. And it usually fires itself up when I'm watching a TV evangelist. I'm good for the first couple minutes. And then I start asking him questions like he's going to respond to me. But I heard this from a very popular TV evangelist, well-known. And I won't name who he is does smile quite a bit and blinks. But anyway, I'm not saying who. Now you guys are going to surf the the TV and find out who is that. He said this, that when Jesus said it was finished, he wasn't dealing with just the sin issue, but he was dealing with your self-low esteem is finished. He was dealing with poverty. It is finished. He is dealing with cancer. It is finished. He's dealing, and he went on a rage. You see what he did? He took the word of God. He did make one correct statement where Jesus said, it is finished. And then from that point on, he captivated every, everyone's selfish interest. 
That there is no more poverty. Oh, yeah, really? There is no more devastation. Really? You tell me what's happening in Houston and in Florida right now. I got a granddaughter that's lining up for back surgery because she's a cancer victim and we have to put rods in her back. You tell me. No, it doesn't line up with the word of God. He's a false teacher, a false prophet. And thousands upon thousands of people, because he makes one crazy, idiotic statement, they follow him, and he is following him to their destruction. Well, Harry says the sinner's prayer at the end of his message. Well, he just led millions of people watching his program for 40 minutes down a dark theological path to believe within them they are good people. Within them, you don't even have to have cancer. All right, now I'm done, Rain. So if somebody wants to buy me a new TV, you can. Um, no, I, I didn't hurt. I didn't do anything. Number one, and not, I'll leave him alone, but you and I, we do not have the, the right to alter the word of God. You can't go in and say, well, Jesus said it's finished, and then add a whole chapter afterwards because this is what you think or feel the verse. No, it is finished. Read the context. He's talking about sin issue. He's talking about there's no more need of a, a lamb or a bull for a sacrifice. And he became the permanent sacrifice for, the, for mankind and that the whole sin issue is done. It's finished. Now you can come into, unto the Father without guilt or without shame. You with me, guys? Give me a fat amen. amen. Thanks. How did he do it? How did God do this? Well, he did it through his name. That's how he related to us. His name will be Jesus. He will save his people. Yeshua. Jehoshua. Same, same thing. Meaning God, Jesus is going to be God's salvation. I uh, went to India uh, on one of my first trips there. And um, he has a small Calvary Chapel right there in Vegas. And we, he was telling me a lot about, you know, the area and all. And he goes, you know, Harry, it's kind of funny. that If I were to read your crime log from your township, you probably would have a couple pages. And I said, yeah, probably, you know. He goes, if you go to Vegas and read their crime log, it's like one, on one sheet, maybe sometimes a half a sheet. And I go, really, Vegas? He goes, yeah, because everything's legal. Oh, wow. The question is, what is sin? What is sin? You know, the Greek word is harmata. And literally, it comes from an old English, well, it doesn't, harmata being the Greek word, an old English word, we get, or a phrase we get to miss the mark. Many of you know this. It comes from either shooting darts or um, shooting arrows as an archer. And so back in the old English days when they were uh, having competition, uh, the target wouldn't be the rings as you and I are accustomed to, the red being the bullseye and then maybe 10, then 20, and then 30, you know. Uh, it, it was just one black dot in the middle of this, this target. Now, if you were to sh shoot a dart or an arrow at one and uh, you just missed it, 
Even by a quarter of an inch, you are a harmada. You missed a mark. And you, that, that's what sin is. It just means that when, when you sin, you've missed the mark. you missed God's plan. You know, um, some people really find this troubling. They don't like to be called a sinner. You just, you just go witnessing and just say, you know what, you're just a, a sinner. They'll take offense to that. Um, I find comfort in it. I'm sorry. I find comfort in, in everything God says about me as it alludes to me. I, I, I'm not, I don't have a problem that I'm a depraved, falling creature in need of a Savior. That brings me great hope. But I've always been a literalist. I've always had a hard time of trying to see something white and something black. You know, the whole positive thing. Well, how can't you be a... No, I'm really... I, I just call it the way I, I see it. I'm sorry. And I know, like Paul the Apostle, Romans chapter 3, there is none good. Well, I read that. Well, let me read it to you. Romans 3.10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands. There is none that seeks after God. All of them have gone out of the way. They all uh, together become unprofitable. There is none that does good. And and it's almost like he's arguing with somebody. No, not one. You know, he says, no, there's none good. And and you remember, no, not one. Their throat is like an open sepulcher. It's death stench. They are, I'm sorry, an open except their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. And that was me in my B.C. days. And so when God revealed that truth to me, I had no problem saying, you know what, God, you're right. I didn't miss the target by a quarter of an inch or an eighth of an inch or a sixteenth of an inch. I missed the target by a mile, two miles. I wasn't even in the scope. Many of us have a testimony like that. Many of you probably, or you might have a good, great testimony. My grandfather, if anyone could get into heaven, my grandfather could have based upon his works. I never heard a swear word out of it. I never seen him argue with his wife. He was full of love and compassionate for neighbors and everyone. But he still missed the mark. And I, you know, it, it troubles me even today. As we were, my brother was sitting with him on his deathbed. He made sure that he accepted Christ. But the one thing he said on his deathbed, he said, Dennis, I am f- afraid to die. There's just, there's an awareness that you are, even on your deathbed, you are a sinner saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Just missing the mark by a 32nd of an inch qualifies you to go to hell. There is none righteous, no, not one. You can't be good enough. And I so love good people, don't you? I love people that are sweet and compassionate. I run on, yes, Jerry, he probably runs into them down in Houston. And not everyone that goes to these, these first responding things are believers, but they are sweet people. For years, 9-11, I was the only believer on the New Jersey Critical Incident Stress Team. I was the only, no, two of us, Bobby Rice. 
The rest of the team were unbelievers, but they were dear, sweet people. And I look at them, my heart breaks because I know they've missed the mark even by a quarter of an inch. We got our work cut out for us, don't we, gang? Whether it's omission or commission, in other words, even if you know something to be wrong and you do it, or vice versa, you know something to be uh, right and you don't do it, it's sin to God. To turn our backs on a brother, according to the scriptures, is sin. To turn our back not on against a brother, but anyone who are in, is in need. James deals with that. Hey, be fed, be good, get yeah, say catch you later. And you don't do anything? Listen, just before I move out of this, this point that I'm making, we are sinners no matter how good we perceive ourselves, Christian. No matter how good you perceive yourself, we are still called sinners. Save sinners. But we're sinners. Jesus alludes to that when he gives us that model of prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And by the way, forgive us of our debt, our sin, our transgression. As we will forgive others who sin against us. And don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus understood in that model prayer that sin would be an issue to uh, with us daily. And when anyone sins, they've missed the mark, whether it's for their lives collectively or whether it's just for a moment, just a speck of time, we get it to First John and we say, Jesus, forgive us and cleanse us and wash us and refresh us in your spirit. Amen, guys? Listen doesn't matter how notorious a person is in wrongdoing. Uh, that it is a true assessment that, uh, that we are sinners saved by grace. But here's another problem. We have the tendency, now stay with me, to grade things on the curve. Well, well, I'm not shooting anybody anymore. And we begin to grade ourselves on the curve. Can't do that either. Listen, I am not the same as I was back in 1973, I guarantee you. In fact, I'm not the same as I was back in, you know, the 80s or 90s or the, the O's. We are growing daily, aren't we? But when we look deep inside our hearts, like Paul the Apostle Paul would say, I am the chief of all sinners. That's how far short I fall. Again, the standard, that's the standard for our lives. The side of heaven is perfection. You want to grade yourself? You want to really see how well you're doing as a child of God? Then Grade yourself based on the standard of perfection. And you'll find out that you fall short as well as I do. There is none righteous. That's what the Bible teaches us. And I'll tell you what, again, just as I alluded to, um, it doesn't trouble me for God to tell me I am someone who's depraved in need of a Savior. And, And likewise, 
It does not bother me to tell me there's a consequence for my sin. That doesn't trouble me. I'm glad, God, you have loved me enough to tell me that if I stay on this path as a believer, there will be a consequence. you got to listen to this. We will reap what we sow. That is a biblical law. I'm not doubting your salvation. That's etched in stone. But I've seen it over the years where someone will go away. They'll come back as a changed creature. You just think, my goodness, God couldn't do another thing. And the following day, he's dead of an overdose. Wages of sin is death, whether physical or spiritual. There is a consequence to just think I can live any way I want. And that's why God has saved us. Because he's given us Christ and his Holy Spirit. Now it doesn't bother me, Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. And has come short. And that we are deserve death. So I do rejoice. I rejoice that God is holy. And I rejoice that heaven is holy. And I rejoice that everything. The sphere and the kingdom of God. Is nothing but holiness. And righteousness. And I have been invited in. Through faith. This idea of just being invited in for faith or through faith, this is how it works. When a person comes to that knowledge, has this, this spiritual knowledge, I'll say it's something God has put there that they are in need of a Savior. And I think that's the first thing that, that I came to an awareness when I gave my heart to Christ. Reading a track all alone in a bedroom, 1.45 in the morning. When I was done finagling through this track, I realized, oh my goodness, I need him. I am in need. I know who I am. I know that I have fallen short. I know if somebody were to open my book, I would probably be disowned. Hey, I am in need of this Savior and, uh, and when Christ comes into that person, when he invites him, Christ into his life, what the Bible tells us is he takes his righteousness and he imputes it into a person's life. According to Romans, he imputes his righteousness. It's an accounting term. And in other words, he just, he counts it up. When he looks at you, he no longer sees your good works because they're filthy rags, but he sees the righteousness of God, the righteousness of heaven. He sees the righteousness and the purity and the glory. Listen, how did he do that? Well, Jesus on the cross took on all our sins. And you know, you always hear me saying it, past, present, and future. I never want you guys ever for, to read it. Because you know what? A lot of things creep back into our lives in the past. Amen, guys? And there's things that we're going through in, 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 in presently. And we're fighting those things. And we're trying to fight the good fight. And we know that we're not exempt in the future. So I always like to say, past, present, future, everything nailed to Christ. He was judged on our behalf. When you put your faith in that act of God dying on the cross for us, God says, I've imputed faith. I've imputed righteousness, pardon me, into your life. It tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, it says this, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin. Jesus was perfect, that we might become the righteousness of God. 
And so he saved us from sin. That's my first point. (laughs) Oh, boy. Saved us from the penalty and the judgment. So I'm going to really go through this. Not only has he saved us from sin, but he saved us from the power of it. You know what? You get saved, you wake up the next day, and you're, you're on like this honeymoon experience with the Lord, and you're just, and then the week will go by, and you, and all those old things start to pop up in your head. Anyone ever have that experience? Raise your hand. You know, man, don't leave me hanging here. Right? So you, you're on this honeymoon with the Lord, you're all fresh in the Holy Spirit, and you get baptized, and then you go back to work. And you realize, well, things really haven't changed all that much. Inside I have. I got a hope that surpasses human understanding, and I get that. But now, man, that temptation starts to creep back in. And there's a, you know what I do is I have to just focus back, back, and realize that as long as I don't yield me, if I don't yield over to that desire or that temptation, and I keep the cross and what he's done on the cross, the focus, my focus, well, listen, it says in Romans 6, I'll read it to you. Know you not to whom you yield yourself servants to obey his servants you are to whom you obey, whether to sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Let me paraphrase it. Go ahead and keep yielding over to the addiction or over to anger or over to the sin. You keep yielding, it's like feeding the monster. But you refocus and you put your eyes on the cross and everything he's done for you. And the Holy Spirit comes in and he gives you the empowerment. I mean, that is the perp- one of the purposes of the cross. To empower us to live a life that is pleasing unto him. Now, you know what happens. We don't have that foundation of where he came from and how he came and why he came. So as soon as those temptations start to roll in again... We start to put on that whole legalistic coat. Well, this is what I got to do. And this, instead of getting back to the cross, and I know maybe some of this is just going over your head. You get back to the cross and you get your eyes on what he's done. He is the author. He is the finisher of your faith. He is the one you keep your eyes on. If you're running in a race, you keep your eyes. And then what happens, and I believe it's a daily thing, you begin to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know the temptation's there, but somehow you got the power saying, I don't have to yield. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to yield to the righteousness of Christ. And I'm going to have a day with Jesus today. I'm going to take my Bible wherever I go. I'm going to find every tree to hide behind if I have to pray. If I, am, I worked in a body shop, that grinder, man, that's always a great place to pray. Because nobody thought I was over praying. Just talking to the Lord. He saves us from the power. He says, but God be thanks that you were the servants of sin. But now you have obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being made free from sin, you became a servant unto righteousness. Is that you, Christian? Is that you? What do you serve? What do I serve? What do I get up to breathe for? I always say this once in a while. If God just left me on this earth just to finish it out, what a sick joke. I have an issue with that. I'm sorry. But I know that's rhyme and reasons why he, he could have saved me and raptured me right then. I would have been A-OK, fine and dandy. But he didn't. He left me here. Be a proclaimer of the gospel. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The feet of the gospel. You take it. 
That's why you're alive. You're alive to have fellowship with him. You're alive to have a relationship with him. Not with the world. Not with problems. Just with the Lord. Listen, I, I want to keep moving down quickly, but you know what people don't realize? Sin is supernatural. You just think about this. I was talking to Roselle about this last night. Just something came to my mind. Supernatural. It's powerful. How on earth could I still be tempted with things that I have done, my goodness, years ago? How would that temptation, why would the enemy be whispering those things? There, there is something enticing and powerful about sin. And I'm going to tell you something. Time out and don't be offended at me, please. You're not going to find a program that's going to conquer the sin issue. You're not going to come through and find some kind of program, I don't care how many steps it is, and think you're going to finally conquer it, and all you're going to do from years later is still have the same temptation, the same drag, when you need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to beat every or conquer any issue. You with me, guys? Now, people find fault in that. Well, I don't, because I am weak. If it wasn't for the power of the Holy Spirit and God living in my life, I'd still be doing the same nonsense I was doing when I was a kid. I am different today and you're different today because of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. He has taken you from death to life. From death to resurrected life. From no power to plenty of power. You can say, Christian, you can say, not today, buddy. I am not yielding my members to that. He also saves us from the presence of sin. What? That sounds weird. It does, because that's very, very much in the future. In fact, Peter says it like this, seeing then that all these things will be dissolved. What manner of person all you be in your holy conversation or your conduct and in godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming day of the Lord, wherein the heavens shall are being on fire, shall dissolve and the elements shall melt with fervor and heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens, a new earth, wherein will dwell righteousness. No sin at all. Heaven's coming, man. We, we won't have to. We could solder our keys in the ignition. We'll never lose, lose our keys again. We'll never lock a house. Never, you know, never have a, a negative thought. The sin issue. We will be totally free from sin. That's going to be one glorious day. I don't know if it's just because what we do, Jerry, I, Juan, we do see a lot of negative things. We see a lot of hurt, a lot of, a lot of people with cancer, funerals. Um, I almost said weddings, but I didn't want to lump that in there. But, <laughs> you know, people who are really involved in people's lives, they do long for heaven. I don't want to see another kid with cancer. I don't want to see another kid die of an overdose. I don't want to see another marriage broken up. I don't want to see dads walking out on their families ever again. But that's not going to be a reality until we're in heaven. Amen? He saves us from guilt and condemnation. He saves us shame. And there's a lot of shame if we're not careful that we can bring along with us. Shame is associated with sin. 
And you know what, guys? As I just said before, I've seen a lot of people carrying burdens unnecessary. You know, some people would say, if I could just go back 20 years ago and get that hour back. Some might even say, if I could just go back 10 years and get those five minutes back. If I could just go back maybe five years and get that minute. If I could just go back and change something. We all have that. You can't, you can't put it on a, a, ga- a scale or a gauge. Everyone has kind of, I wish I could go back and change that. But you can't. You can't. Uh, that's something I conveyed to a man in prison. His name was Tim. He had killed a 95-year-old man for five bucks. Right down outside of Paulsboro here. And he was stoned. He was, he was jacked on PCP. And I met him. I was doing a Bible study with him. And he goes, you know, I can't buy this, Harry. Because I got to live with what I did the rest of my life. I get that. He didn't know, he didn't know the Lord. He didn't know grace. But I was able to pray with him. He did accept Christ, but then I lost him in the system. And he's in Trenton. Carrying the guilt and carrying the shame. God can relieve that guilt and shame, but only through the cross. You can't be good enough thinking you're a good person now, and so therefore uh, it's just gone. Now it's only whitewash. You look good, but inside there's still something that stinks. You've got to release it at the cross. He paid it, paid for it, no matter how deviant it was or how um, depraved it was. Once your eyes are focused on the cross, this will be hard to understand. But if Hitler bowed his knees at the cross, we will see him in heaven. If Manson bends his knees at the cross, we'll see that man in heaven. That's grace. People forgiven. Can't be good enough. Can't be bad enough. It's got to be through faith and grace. He's also saved us from the fear, or death and fear. Hebrews says, for as much then as, uh, as the ch- children are partakers of the flesh and blood, he also, like uh, himself likewise, took a part of us the same, that through death he might destroy him that had power of death, and that is the devil, and deliver them through fear, the th- fear of death, we're all, um, we're all their lifetime subject to bondage. In other words, that through the cross, God can remove the power and the sting of death in a person's life. Now, look, I always say that. I want to go home. I want to go to heaven. I do. I want to be there today. I really do. The way I get there can be a concern. You know, I, uh, I, I don't want to be eaten in a pool of piranhas. That would not be good. If, uh, you know. I almost said, but if that was God's will, no, it's not. I don't even want to say that, you know. Our dear brother Dave Muckle is finishing well. You know, just uh, last time I was with him a couple days ago, all we did was talk about Jesus. Well, first it was on the eagles. Then it was about the, the Lord, and he's so ready, so longing. No fear, not one iota of fear, anxiety in his voice. He wants to go home. 
How many of you guys wouldn't mind seeing Jesus today? Yeah, I'm with you. 1 Corinthians 15, something I read at uh, uh, the burial site. O death, where's thy sting? Grave, where's thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to finish with this thought, guys. Uh, Richie, if you want to make your way out. He didn't just save us, you know, from the fear of sin and death. And I'll try to lump my last two points together. But emptiness, frustration, purposelessness, and from loneliness. Think about it. Emptiness, frustration, a sense that there's no purpose in your life, and from loneliness. You know, how many TV shows do we need to watch? How many movies do we got to go to? How much stuff, really, do we have can we have you know i i've talked to so many that have all that and above and you know when you just sit down with them and they keep it real they'll say to you well you know there's still something that's deep down inside i'm really kind of lonely well you're married man yeah i know but you know what it's superficial and we'll finish but down inside i'm just i'm a little frustrated and there's uh, what purpose is it for my things how i feel like there's no purpose rhyme or reason for me to even be here on the on the planet hello oh i'm sorry no it's no problem <laughs> we're just going to make you stand and about now but it, it, it it's tell me you don't know people like that It just seems, my goodness, they've got everything a man could possibly want. And yet they're still frustrated. There's no purpose. That there's loneliness. I don't know if you've ever seen our little flyer around here about the missing piece. It's that heart and it looks like a puzzle. There's a piece missing and it's the cross. I'll tell you something. Keep the main thing the main thing and that's the cross. Keep the cross in the center of everything in your lives. And you know what? He saves us from all that and above. That all of a sudden, there, there is no, you're filled, you're full. And you're not empty. There's something going within you that you're, I remember when, um, uh, come on, Harry. Um, D.L. Moody and his, his account of being filled with the Holy Spirit, I believe it was him, where he begged God to stop because God kept coming over him one wave after another wave. And he literally was weeping, saying, Ask God, I can't take any more. And he explained it to be love. But it was being filled. When you're filled, guys, there's no emptiness. When you're filled, there's no loneliness. When you're filled... All of a sudden, you think there is purpose why I'm here. Amen? Let's stand together. My last point, I didn't have time, was he saves us from ourselves. If it was left up to our own demise, what would happen? We're doomed. But through the cross, he actually saves us from even ourselves. How many of you guys love him today? Father, we thank you so much for this time and thank you for your word. Lord, take this last song. Receive it into your bosom. Receive it to your heart. We love you and worship you. In Jesus' name. If you need prayer, come down, guys.
Above all powers, above all kings.